Amanda Resio. I am the social media editor uh, for the Daily 49er. And I'm Giovanni Cardenas. I am a contributor to the Daily 49er. Yep. And uh, today we're covering, like, let's see, quite a lot, actually, more than I was expecting. Uh, film photography, uh, our, what's it called, local businesses special issue, and then Latinx and the just the overall background behind the term and so on and so forth. But, yeah, so let's start with photography then. Uh, you wrote a little thing that's still in the works for getting published on, like, kind of the comeback of film photography. Um, so what kind of killed film, I guess you could say? Well, digital, obviously. Yeah, yeah, in simplest terms, digital. Right. <laughs> um, so we started moving towards new technology. Digital just got better and better, and the workflow just was convenient. You didn't mm-hmm. have to pay per role and um, be surprised as to what you get. You know, digital's instant. So film started to decrease and it wasn't until 2012 when Kodak officially um, filed for bankruptcy and that's uh, what like set the world, like the film world pretty mm-hmm. much like scared. Like they were running amok pretty it much. It was the signal for the end. Yeah. Right. Um, people were um, buying the last, what what they thought like the last rolls of a popular black and white film called Tri-X. Mm. And, you know, people stored, literally stored their whole fridges full of that film just mm. to preserve fi- uh, the Kodak film. And, yeah, that's that's um, the decline until just recently. Well, not recently, but slowly and steadily. Yeah. The younger generation have been um, interested in shooting the medium that they've never been around before. And, and now it's sort of become a bit of a trend and it's found a resurgence yeah i mean something i've seen a lot particularly myself is the uh i guess you could say polaroid style camera the just like shoot and then print i guess you could say i mean a little bit nostalgic for those not even because i was around in the 90s when you know they were actually a a thing just you know someone at a party has a little polaroid camera and yeah. So is it becoming more of an art form now or kind of a hobbyist venture at this point? Um, it could be both. Mm-hmm. Um, there's still a couple of professionals who uh, choose to shoot film who have never left um, that medium. Uh, some people like it just because of the artistic look. Mm-hmm. Film just has a specific graininess, uh, warmth to it that you just can't replicate no matter how hard you try in post-processing with digital. Mm-hmm. Um, so I would say it's for the art and... For hobbyists, for people who are just, you know, shooting photography, forget just film or digital, just photography for the first time, people who are shooting that um, and start off with film, um, I would say become better at photography with its knowledge. Mm -hmm. Yeah, Yeah, it's kind of... um it's the same way that you learn how to, like, say, paint in acrylics and oils mm-hmm. and, like, actual, like, physical, tangible medium before you go into digital, or right. I guess you could say. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So some people like that. Some people like the actual tangible, mm-hmm. you know, film um, as opposed to just, you know, looking at numbers on the screen, you know, and mm-hmm. being stuck on a computer screen. That's what – that's a big, um, uh, I guess, pro for some people um, with their workflow. Um, film is just um, – yeah. <laughs> yeah. Uh, do you shoot yourself? Or? Yeah, I've been shooting. Uh, I started off with film back in 20, 2012, pretty much when I was going to die or whatever, when Kodak filed for bankruptcy. Yeah. Um, I started off with film and fell in love with it. And mm-hmm. I personally thought that it wasn't going to last this long. Um, but, sh- you know, sure enough, y- younger kids, you know, you know, 
you know, picked it up and now it's found a uh, sort of revival. Yeah. Yeah. So, what your pref is your preference film though? Then, or Uh, yeah, um, if I could, I mean, I would shoot film all the time, but it's just tedious work as well. Uh Um, uh It's kind of, um, I guess you could say, like commercial art. It's graphic design versus art. Mm -hmm. Really, is what it comes down to. Is that at least from my perspective, and totally correct me if I'm wrong here, like, your actual, like, digital camera is your workhorse, you know? It's what you're going out to events with, taking shots with, doing studio shots with, and then your actual film comes more into, like, uh, artisanry, or, you know. But, yeah. Anyway, we're talking a little bit in circles here. So, um, anything else you can give me on, like, this whole kind of, like, film resurgence, like, thing here yeah well um you know like you mentioned earlier with polaroid um back in 2009 or 2008 uh polaroid they shut down their factories they were no longer mm. going to manufacture um their their famous you know square format prints yeah. like like at all anymore so um this this um this man from i think um holland or something somewhere like in the in in europe he Heard of the news, and he purchased the last facu- factory that um, that manufactures Polaroid, and he pretty much tried to bring back and create his own version of the film um, from the ground up. So it's basically just this one guy, yeah, kind of keeping it alive. Yeah, but that, yeah, and um, it started off with a couple of workers who used to work at Polaroid, and mm-hmm. he hired them on to help him, you know figure out the whole chemistry behind, you know, making the film because people don't think about the chemistry. Um it's it's a very complex uh process to to create um that particular film and um you know to to preserve it and to make sure it's not exposed to light after you you know, initially expose it in camera. You know, there's mm-hmm. so much that goes behind that. So um it's been what is it like almost almost ten years now and he finally was able to merge with Polaroid, so now they're a joint company, um, Impossible and and Polaroid, mm-hmm. and they Polaroid finally, um, what's it called? Manufactured a new camera for the first time in over a decade. So that's like a big big deal right now. Yeah, definitely. Yeah. Now, do you think this is kind of just like a sort of like hipstery like fad like oh, type yeah. of thing, particularly with Polaroid? Yeah. Yeah, yeah. With with film in general, Polaroid especially, um, all that stuff is just really you know trendy. You know, um, I was at a festival this mm-hmm. summer and I swear I saw so many kids like hipstery kids, you know, with more film cameras than I saw with digital cameras. You know, and yeah. that's what blew me away. Like that's what gave me the idea to write the story was wow like it is officially you know revived you know yeah. because um do you think it's going to stick though is the question <clears throat> i think it is yeah okay yeah yeah d- definitely um i feel like this new market um of you know like i said younger shooters who are interested in shooting this um medium and um you know just going off of releases that I've released just this year of new film stock like um, Kodak just brought back this famous film stock called Ektachrome. They discontinued it back in 2012 and then this year they just announced that they were going to plan on bringing it back. Now what particularly is Ektachrome? It's... Oh, is that the black the one that disappeared? Completely? No, no, no. no. Okay. Tri- uh, Tri-X never disappeared. Luckily, um, mm-hmm. Ektachrome was discontinued. It's a, it's what's called a reversal film. Mm-hmm. So, have you ever seen a negative? Before, you know, so, like, the light parts are yeah. dark and the dark parts are, uh-huh. are yeah, light. Yeah, like the MySpace filter. Exactly. Yeah. Um, so, with Ektachrome, it's a reversal film. So, what you see is what you get. So, yeah. when you're looking through the viewfinder of the camera, that's how you're going to see your so-called negative. But it's 
called a positive in this sense. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Okay. So basically, you're seeing it in negative. If that makes sense. No, okay. not seeing it in, in, in negative. It's pretty uh, much a positive. So you can throw it in like a in a in a slide. Oh, okay. Oh, okay. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I I don't. Okay. So you know, like your old timey slideshows. You know, exactly with the, with the clickers and you know. Yeah. So on and so forth. Mm-hmm. Uh huh. Yeah. So. Film is sticking around. Um, it's kind of went away. It came back. You know, it, is there any room for advancement actually in film, or is it kind of like have we reached as far as we can go? I mean, f- film's been around longer than digital, so no. I mean, um, I think um, you don't really have to get better at producing film. I think film is um, you know fine just the way it is. Mm-hmm. Um, it, it's kind of at its pinnacle. It's at its peak. Yeah, yeah, it's yeah. like even digital. You kind of. I mean, I'm total like photography novice you can ask our photo editor or any of our editors on the actual newspaper that i'm absolutely just damn awful at shooting photos um but like even like uh digital like it still feels like it's growing like how long ago was it when like mirrorless cameras for instance came Uh, out like what three four years maybe yeah honestly i'm not really sure but yeah it's it's that itself is still new and 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 that's still advancing in its own right you know mm. digital photography is is advancing back when it was first introduced um film was a superior medium you yeah know, to it you know people still prefer to shoot film but as um the uh, sensors and the cameras got better in the digital cameras people just kind of left film in the past and started shooting digital mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. but you still recommend that people like start learning on film though oh definitely because yeah. um it's just you know when you shoot a frame, that's it. You can't go back and correct it. You know, mm-hmm. you don't have an SD card full of memory that you can just, you know, blitzkrieg your way out of it or whatever. You know, yeah. film takes time, and you have to really learn and um, learn the exposures, learn learn your shutter speeds, apertures, you know, all yeah. that stuff in order to like really th- um, think think about the photo before pressing mm-hmm. the shutter. See, for me, at the same time though, it's I don't know. I, I'm the type of I'm the dummy who just gets handed a camera and says, "Go out there and you know." Take shoot some things, you know. Get bring back some photos, uh-huh. and you know it's just I. I'm only thinking that the inherent like process of actually shooting, like especially if you, I guess it forces you to learn though. Then definitely, yeah, yeah, yeah. Because you don't, you know, you don't want to go back into the dark room and and, mm-hmm. and develop your role and find that everything's underexposed. You just have a crap shot, exactly. Yeah, mm-hmm. yeah so you want to work at it. You want to try to perfect your craft, and yeah. It teaches you how to control shutter speed and mm-hmm. then like exposure and stuff like that. I don't even know if ISO is a thing on film. That's it is. Th- oh, okay. It is. It is. Each so each film has its own set um, ISO. Oh, so okay. it'll range, you know, from I've seen twenty five up to what thirty two hundred. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. This is almost. I don't know, man. It almost feels like it's turning into teach Joel how film works, basically. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. But I, know, I know, like I'm throwing like a lot of uh, maybe like. Technical terms. I, I I don't know. I know ISO. I know a little bit. Uh-huh. I, I, I'm not a complete just like outsider, outsider, outsider. Uh-huh. You know. Um. So, I don't know. I mean, I guess we're getting personal here, man. Let Let's take it there. Um. How did you start with photography? Um. Community college. I was originally a um a film major. You know, I wanted mm-hmm. to go like in, in 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 the movie industry and stuff. And one of my requirements was to take a photography class. And that class was in show to photography. Mm-hmm. And it happened to be the film photography. And I just took that and I just fell in love with it. I just fell in love with creating and um, developing, my, developing my own film and my own darkroom prints and just the whole process that went behind it. And 
uh, yeah, it was just like, it just clicked. It just clicked? Yeah, no pun intended. Yeah. But yeah. Well, I mean, the, how long did it take you to learn, though? Because you were learning in a dark room then. Yeah, yeah. yeah. Um, like, well, that was a semester class, and I, I learned the basics, but I still wasn't very good. Yeah. You know, I, I had to keep, you know, you know, stay persistent and just, you know, photograph every day. Just like anything, you know, mm-hmm. if you want to be good at something, just keep practicing. Yeah. You know? I mean, it's almost weird to think about it in that sense, because there's a weird disconnect with film. Because it's, it's not like... Um, it's not like writing. It's not like, um, uh, like, you know, creating art, painting or anything like that. It's, you click a button and it's done, but there's more to it than that. There's more factors going in that you just don't commonly think about when just looking at this piece of equipment. Yeah. Cause I mean, if you have a digital camera, you know, and you want to, you want to test the light, you can just click a, you know, just click the shutter or whatever, mm-hmm. you know, not, not, not think about it, check it out. And then adjust your settings from there with film photography, you got to read the light you got to you know, adjust prior and really think about that shot before you click it, you know. Mm-hmm. Otherwise, you're just wasting time, wasting film. Yeah. I mean, and also, what it's weird to think, too, because especially, like, with advanced, even with, like, this, like, in, this is an audio show, in case you can't tell. <laughs> I was holding up and smacking my phone. But, no, I mean, I take, like, um, say, okay, I covered the Milo thing at, um, or the Milo protest at CSU Fullerton a couple weeks back. Um, I brought a digital, like, Nikon camera with me. Um, I maybe only took, like, 10 or 15 shots with it. Just because it's, it's literally, it's, even that, even the digital thing is, like, too cumbersome for, like, this actual field photography thing. For me, at least. That's totally, you know, a, a statement about myself. Not, you know, what is the superior method. But, no, man, it's just, even this is, like, streamlined. It. Like, it's... Everyone's a pocket photographer now, yeah. you know? Yeah, everyone's a photographer now with these, you know, pocket cameras, you know? Mm-hmm. And, and it's kind of sad because um, it, it kind of takes away, like, that 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 feeling of um, accomplishment, you know, mm-hmm. when, when capturing a, a good photograph. Well, do you think it draws people into, actually, photography? Or do you think it just kind of, like, I don't know, makes them content with this thing where you, like, tap the screen and then... You know, tap the little photo button, and then boom, you have you know your next Instagram shot to like swipe through filters. I think for with. some people it is. Yeah, I mean, um, if you're not you know totally serious about the art behind the you know right. photography or like the technical stuff, and you you want to still take good imagery for your social media, yeah, why not? Like like I think it's um, perfectly fine for those who uh, want to just shoot it for that. Yeah, well, but do you think it's getting people into oh, photography? Yeah. Like you know, you're like I don't know, like you're you're a middle school kid who's like. I don't know, filming vines or whatever kids do these days on their <laughs> phone. Um, do, do you think he's like thinking, oh, this thing is like those, like, you know, big, bulky Minolta Camry things that my, I don't know, hipster dad takes photos with? <laughs> do I want to get, like, do you, do you think that, like, photography becoming so much more accessible draws people into this art form of film? I think for those people who want to get serious about it, yeah. Mm-hmm. Um, I mean, th- this, you know, like with cell phones, that can really introduce someone's curiosity to, you know, even go further with what the, with what our cell phones limit us to. So, uh, yeah, why not? I think I think it's a good gateway. Mm-hmm. Yeah. yeah um, that's good. I feel like we should end on something with film rather than doing these like <laughs> almost like borderline like existential like conversations about photography. Um, so, what was the first film camera you shot on? Uh, it was a Nikon FG20, like an entry level, mm-hmm. you know, SLR made back I don't know, like in the eighties. It was so tiny too. Like my 
hands are rather big, so I remember just like yeah, cramps, hand cramps on that camera. But it was it was a fun time, man. I love that. I sold it. I'm so sad that I sold that yeah. camera. I had like a little downtime and I just needed money. Oh, Biggest regret of my life. Uh, <laughs> no, man. I mean, for me, I never got into photography. At one point, I did want to, though. Uh, I remember for Christmas when I was, I believe, 14 or 15, I just got a Minolta camera for Christmas. And, you know, I went out to, like, um, I believe it was Kit Carson Park down in uh, Escondido, for any of you from San Diego out there. If not, that reference makes no sense and it's completely nonsensical but that's okay um but no i mean i remember me and a friend just went out into the park and took photos of these like little like clay like statuesque things and then we went back and got them developed and all that you know went down to the costco while they still did that oh yeah 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 Mm. yeah sadly they don't do that anymore and and that's what's tough about film too is trying to find um a place to actually develop your film you know yeah that's you know, hard for people, you know, and, and the cost, you know, mm-hmm. like if you think about each, you know, each frame you take, it's like a couple cents here and there, you know, it adds up. So, mm-hmm. yeah, the cost of photo- uh, cost of film is uh, the, like what other than technical obstacles are there to like get into film like those hurdles like uh, fear, probably you fear. Know, some people are just like afraid to get into it because they don't they can't see what they just shot. So that anxiety yeah. kind of just yeah, like, well, no, dude, I can picture that by far, you know, and this is all like for me this all started when my uh my uncle was a photographer for weird job uh he took photos for um the lyric slides in worship like video yeah uh weird baptist church thing out in like southern carolina but yeah so like he insisted that okay you got to learn on a film camera you got to learn on a film camera cuz that way you actually know how to shoot Mm-hmm. Unfortunately, it didn't really stick because <laughs> I'm not a good photographer. Uh-huh. But, yeah, I mean, I don't know. Do you have anything else to add before we take a short break here? Uh, Yeah. Um, yeah, so, I mean, if those who are interested in, you know, shooting photography, I'd say r- right now is the perfect time. I mean, film photography, there's so much new product coming out. And, you know, you don't have to stick to, you know, the... 35 millimeter format you can go into you know instant film i know fujifilm has the instax line and it's extremely popular right now Mm -hmm. um for those who are interested um i'd say just go out there buy your role and just you know go for it man yeah just start like that's the only thing man you could just what's the next just do it or do it or whatever like that's that's the thing that's the only way to do it you just need one to break the ice kind of get your feet wet and then from there you know just do it yeah all right cool 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 so we'll be taking like a brief break and you'll be hearing some ads and music they'll edit out for this if you're listening to it on soundcloud or itunes so yeah for you guys out there it'll just be a quick thing like that all right here we go and we're back. Um, you're listening to the D49er update on 22stradio.com or slash 88.1 Long Beach, Los Angeles. All those things that you're definitely not listening to on it right now unless you're in the newsroom, in which case, hi, guys. So we have a new guest in the studio here, too. Um, introduce yourself, Kat. Hey, guys. Uh, you're listening to Kat Schuster. I'm the news editor for the Daily 49er. Mm-hmm. Uh yeah. Yeah, cool. We actually talked about your story last week too. Um the whole water thing. Oh yeah. Yeah. That was uh Is that is that, was that a busy time. Was that a soft spot for you? <laughs> uh, I do no. some flashbacks right now. Um I mean, it was just total chaos in the newsroom. I mean, when we found out, um we were just trying to put it all together. And mm. of course, the next day, we had 
some criticism. Uh, people wanted answers, rightfully so. Um, mm. But when we found out, it was basically like what, what was it? Emails, 10 p.m. Yeah, email time <laughs> even been sent out to like students. Yeah, like faculty yeah. had just gotten emails. Like yeah. it, infant, infant stages. But that's neither here nor there. We are actually on to our special issue, which just came out this Monday. Kat, would you like to give a little bit of a preamble to that, um, what it is, what it did, and so on and so sure. forth? Sure. I wish uh, Carlos Viacano was here. He was uh, the one that actually... We tried. Yeah. I, I, or at least I tried. It but, was his issue. but uh-huh. um, Yeah, so the special issue um, was everything local. It was sort of a way for us to showcase local businesses in Long Beach. We all picked places that were unique and interesting to us. It was a really great experience. It kind of gave us a, um, an opportunity to step outside of the newsroom, kind of get off. There's a world outside of school. Yeah. yeah <laughs> and I've, actually, I've yet to see it, but I, I hear there is. Yes. Yeah. <laughs> I hear there is such a world. Mm-hmm. Um, so, yeah, we had a diverse mix of different stories going on there. and Yeah. It turned out really well. And speaking of that world, uh, Amanda, you bought hot dogs in that world. I did. I went into the hot dog world. Um, The hot dog verse. The hot dog verse, yes, if you will. And what was the name of this hot dog verse? So I contributed a story to the um, special issue for the semester. Um, I wrote an article on a newish hot dog stand in Long Beach called Frankenfries. Mm-hmm. And um, this was a, uh, if you, if anyone local to the Long Beach area had driven down Anaheim Street, they probably saw sh- a, a sign on the, um, on the corner of Anaheim and Obispo, Frank and Fry's coming soon. Uh-huh. And uh, I wrote about how it opened and, you know, just kind of their whole deal. What's the deal with the dogs? What's the deal with the dogs? <laughs> yep. uh, well, speaking of dogs, let's talk about the owners. What's the deal with them? What's the deal with them? So the owners are these two brothers. Their names are Tim and Ernie. Mm-hmm. And um, they're a couple of dudes from New Jersey who came, you know, they moved here a couple, like a couple years ago. And they bought this stand at the corner. It was a little shack and it used to be a sandwich place. And they kind of, you know, rebuilt it from the ground up and made it into Frankenfries and their name their last name is Franken, so that's where that comes from. Yeah. So I mean it's pretty pretty straightforward. They sell hot dogs, it's gourmet dogs, but um what kind of attracted me to this was the fact that their uh whole message was bringing gourmet hot dogs and like quality food to this community who is you know, the neighborhood is kind of more up and coming. Mm-hmm. You know, he says, he told me in the interview that he hates the word gentrification, but that's kind of what it is. is yeah. You know, bringing businesses into the neighborhood that are kind of pushing the locals out. But um, their take on it was, you know, let's become a part of the community instead mm-hmm. of, you know, offering up hot dogs that are $10, you know. Yeah, and this comes into pricing, yeah, right? Yeah, yeah. well, I mean, a lot of, yeah. it's different than, you know, your local vegan restaurant that moves into the community and yes. charges like 25 bucks for quinoa. Oh, you, yeah. And, you know? And, 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 yeah, that's interesting that you bring that up because just, you know, there's the, sh- the, the stand is on Anaheim and Obispo, and on Coronado and Anaheim, which is only like a block over, it's just full of businesses, coffee shops that are charging $5 a cup and just all these places that, you know, nothing against them or anything. I'm sure they're delicious, but, you know, it's just the pricing is kind of not representative of the community around mm-hmm. it. Yeah, definitely. So uh, do you want to? 
plug the little hot dog stand one more time before we move on? Yeah, I mean, um, you know, it's called Frankenfries. They have uh, hot dogs, funnel cakes. Um, it's, you know, I, I don't really go into much into the kind of food that they serve. It's more about, you know, these two brothers who just really wanted to become a part of the community. They live in that neighborhood. Yeah. Did they, they have a history with skating, or is that a misremembering? No, no, for me? you're, you're absolutely right. Um, they do. They did own a skate company, but it was like skating, um, like supplies. So not the actual skateboards, mm. but it was like helmets and knee pads. And so they're like habitual business owners, yes, I guess. Yes, they are say. habitual business owners. They're definitely entrepreneurs. They mm. are like kind of people who moved to Long Beach and just kind of made Long Beach their. Their home. Their home. Their home. Their yeah. Okay. Their home. Their. <laughs> I was gonna say something else, but well, I didn't it, know. It's after six o'clock. Okay. We're, well, we're they g- made Long Beach their bitch. Was is what I was gonna say. <laughs> okay. Sounds good. Okay. <laughs> I'm not sure if that's a after six o'clock appropriate. Anyway, it's all good. Um, cat. Uh, up next we have a record store. Um, your story from the special edition this week you want to kind of oh i feel like i adequately teed that up i feel like you can yeah knock it out of the park from here i'll just knock it right on out all right so world famous vip records is uh, essentially this very iconic very important place uh, to the history of hip-hop and a very iconic place to long beach as well um it's been there for over 40 years it's uh pretty much it's really important to gangster rap essentially. Um, Mm -hmm. We decided to do a story on VIP because of the possibility of the store closing and the whole debate over the iconic sign. Uh, But before we get into that, let me just give you a little insight as to what the owner, Kelvin Anderson, shared with me on the history of the shop when I sat down with him last week. Yeah. Uh, Well, who has kind of like come out of the shop? Because they have a recording studio and everything set up there. That's kind of been their like main... Right. Well, the recording studio is actually not in there anymore. It's in Mm. the old location, uh, which is empty. um, And he's on his third location within the same complex now. But um, basically, Snoop Dogg, Warren G, uh, Nate Dogg, uh, I guess there was... uh, a lot of celebrities in and out of that shop mm-hmm. during the 70s. Barry White, Jamie Foxx, yeah. uh, DJ Quick actually learned how to DJ yeah. um, back there uh, with one of the uh, employees. I think it was uh, Keith Thompson, DJ Slice, yeah. uh, taught him how to use the mixer and all that. So it's not just a place that's important to Long Beach. It's a place that's important to like uh, an entire genre of music, a culture, a phenomenon. For the West Coast, yeah, yeah. absolutely. I mean, I'm sure there are similar places um, on the East Coast, you know, where maybe Biggie Smalls got his start and all that. But this place is very essential to um, to West Coast gangster rap, yeah. basically. <laughs> West Coast gangster. But, yeah. no, I not to sign super white, but that happened anyway. <laughs> yeah, it, it's, it's okay. Uh, yeah. <laughs> um, anyway, so... Let's go into Calvin here then. Like, kind of like paint me a word picture of this guy, Calvin, and his like history in the community here. Um, so Calvin, Calvin bought the shop off of his brother Cletus in 1979. Uh, the shops it used to be a 12 chain uh, recording. Or sorry, it used to be a 12 uh, chain record shop, uh, and basically he bought that shop off of his brother. And um, he pretty much just uh, built a recording studio in the back and uh, 
started a lot of different careers. I mean, uh, there were two guys that worked in his shop. Uh, one was the name by the name Keith Thompson, and the other one was named Michael White. Uh, they both became very talented DJs working back there. Mm-hmm. Um, but Kelvin basically has helped a lot of people out in the community. Um, he, I mean, he's kept a lot of people out of jail, according to a lot of the people I've talked to. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, he kept a lot of kids off the street back in the day. Yeah, they were all back there learning how to DJ, learning how to do their dance moves learning how to use the mixer, all mm. that fun stuff. Yeah. Well, I mean, now let's kind of... <laughs> Your face is hilarious. It's great. <laughs> now let's, um, let's kind of get into, like, the actual, like, um, uh, minutiae, like, around the sign and everything okay. like that. So the sign has been a pretty complex, ongoing saga. It's, it's very iconic t- to Long Beach. Um, it's this 20-foot sign that it's got a it's record shaped it's got this guy on it who is uh it looks like he's whistling a tune because it mm-hmm. actually used to be a, a a liquor store's sign um where the it was called whistler whistler liquor whistler so, liquor yeah so that, that sounds like the spot man you yeah know? um so basically when the anderson family took it over they they painted the guy's face uh brown uh and made him the gangster rap symbol, basically. Mm-hmm. But, um, so, the sign's been featured in Snoop Dogg's Who Am I video, and it's been there for over 40 years in one form or another. Uh, it's very, very much a symbol of the G-Funk era. Uh, basically, back in 2015, Kelvin Anderson decided he was done. He was going to close his shop. Uh, record sales were down, yeah. basically, because of um, illegal downloads on the internet and uh, CD burning. Um, so he decided to list his site on eBay. Uh, and when city council member D. Andrews caught wind, he basically asked Kelvin to take it off eBay. And uh, he said he expressed his interest that the city wouldn't mm. buy it. Um, and I guess the highest bidder he got was a, around $170,000. But he said he was there's no way he was going to take that. So he took it off. Yeah. <laughs> and so after a year went by, Kelvin basically found out uh, that the city had urged the owner of the building to apply for the sign to be a historic landmark. Um, after Kelvin found out, he was able to stop that through position, uh, petitions, social media, whatnot. Um, so to bring us up to speed now, he has decided to try and make the sign a historic landmark as the owner of VIP Records, um, not the owner of the buildings him, himself. Yeah. Um, so the sign actually went before the Cultural Heritage Commission last night. Oh, real? okay, so this is, like, fresh. This yeah. is, like, updating the uh-huh. story, more or less. Yeah. All right, so, I don't know, man. All right, Kat, you're the news lady. Give us the hot <laughs> scoop, man. What's what's going on with this? I uh, I spoke to Kelvin this morning, and he was very excited because the, uh, I guess it passed to become a landmark with flying colors. Mm-hmm. Uh, and now it's going to be moved to a different commission where they will make a final decision. Uh, more to come on that. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Cool, cool, cool. So, I don't know. It, it's interesting that... So, uh, did you propose the story yourself or, like, the actual... No, Carlos actually found the story, and mm. then I kind of looked into it, and it just really interested me, because um, I'm the news editor, but I've, I've always been really interested in writing about uh, music artists and things like that. Mm-hmm. I always wanted to be a music journalist growing up, but you don't yeah. make any money doing that, so... <laughs> <laughs> 
gotta switch gears. <laughs> yeah, definitely. But it was really fun for me. It was really awesome. It was one of the best interviews I've ever done. Um, Kelvin and I hung out in his shop for almost two hours and just talked about the entire history of the studio and um, basically how um, Dr. Dre's cousin, uh, Sir Jinx, um, basically proposed the idea of uh, him buying a, a mixer and he learned how to use it and mm-hmm. that was history. Yeah. yeah. It, it's kind of almost a rolling... Th- it's it's your own mini Rolling Stones article. Oh, like, right. Yeah. Yeah. Definitely. <laughs> definitely. Well, cool, cool, cool. Um, It looks like for this hour... Or, this portion, we're going to be taking a little bit of an early break, um, just because I'm waiting for another guest to come in. Um, I have a text waiting on the phone. Unfortunately, signal is not great in here, so I would not be able to call her. But anyway, we might have another guest up next, or we might just be sitting here talking, gabbing, just doing all that stuff. So we'll be back in a minute. And we are, well, you're back and we're back, and everyone's just back with... Uh, D49er update. Um, yeah. So, unfortunately, our last guest um, is still stuck in L.A. traffic, unfortunately, on the way back from her internship. So, we will not be discussing Latinx tonight. Instead, uh, we literally came up with a topic in between the break to kind of just wing it. So, Amanda, you are a PR major. Kat, you are a journalism major. Now, fight to the death or something. I don't oh know. <laughs> I don't know about that. Yeah. Um, okay, so... We can be friends. <laughs> all right. Well, I guess to start off, why did you choose to go into PR? So, um, first of all, I think, you know, just to bring up, just to bring up a very important um, thing here. So, PR and journalism, for those of you listening who may not be familiar with the journalism department, um, PR and journalism are uh, a part of the same department at Cal State Long Beach. Um, if you are have been around LA for that entire building, we've claimed it. It's ours. It's ours. Yeah. It's ours. Um, so uh, to answer your question, the reason I went into PR, I actually started off as a journalism major. I did the whole writing for the local newspaper mm-hmm. at my community college. I did all of that. I wanted to be like Kat, a music journalist, but like oh, Kat wow. said earlier, there's no money in that, and it's yeah. incredibly difficult to get a job. Um, so I found PR. I found that I loved writing, but that I also loved the idea of working for a company that I was really passionate about. So... Um, kind of the happy medium there was doing PR and, you know, finding a company. Uh, I'd love to go into nonprofit, uh, just kind of find something that I'm passionate about and that, you know, even though I'm working in PR and people say it is a soulless job. Yeah, I was going I'm, to make a joke about that. Now I'm, you said, like, nonprofit, I I'm feel bad. If I'm doing it for a company that is, you know, you know, making, changing people's lives, like, why not? You know, Damn, someone man, has to like do it. Why not me? <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I wouldn't say PR, public relations, is necessarily always. Soulless, yeah, well, but I mean, I don't know, man. That's the that's the joke. I mean, I, I, joke. I don't know, man. I I know people in PR, you know. It is it, the joke. A lot going of, to the dark side with yeah. journalism's. Yes. Just, yeah. Mm-hmm. Absolutely, especially here because, like I said earlier, they're they're lumped together in the same department, so there is like a clear like the PR people and then the journalism. <laughs> yeah. PR. Well, then there's even like the blurring of the line of. Even what is like PR and what is journalism? Like, okay, for instance, take Twenty Two West Media. You know, not 
What's get 22 West Media? You are gracious enough to let us use your uh, radio station and so on and so Bless. forth. Yeah, so true. Very much. Thank you for that. But on the other hand, you know, um, 22 West Media does work for ASI, um, and they do host events for ASI. So, and they, it, it's kind of like this question of like, oh, okay, the lines are a lot more blurry than you know people are actually willing to admit they are. But you know, enough about blurred lines. Uh, cat. Talk about why you became a journalism person, the oh reporter. Boy. Well, um, basically, uh, I uh, saw the movie Almost Famous when I was. I've not. Me too. Oh. oh my gosh! That was yeah, me. That I was so mean. see, man, that's so cool, much cooler than I just saw one too many Vice documentaries. So yeah. Vice, <laughs> yeah. Vice is what made you a Vice <laughs> No, no, I'm, it's a joke. That's a, that's a. I'm sorry. I totally line. interrupted Kat. No, it's okay. It's okay. I glad, I'm glad that you agree. Um, but yeah, I basically wanted to be Cameron Crow, and uh, I was obsessed with uh, rock and roll, like 70s kind of stuff yeah. growing up, and Lester Bangs, who was this really crazy rock yeah. journalist who uh, was the editor in chief for Cream Magazine, which is no longer with us. Um, but, you know, after uh, Rolling Stone sort of sold out, they've just don't really have any good content anymore. Damn, man. They're just kind of, yeah, I don't know. They just kind of cater to... Well, there goes that job, I guess. You yeah, know. so basically that, that job went down the toilet. I mean, I still mm-hmm. I still would like to do some stuff with that, but it would be more for my free time or something like that. But I, I basically um, wanted to become a journalist because I've always been an inquisitive person i've always wanted to ask why yeah why is this why are you you know that's not fair i've always been a person to say that's not fair and mm-hmm. my parents always said well life isn't fair well damn it it should be yeah so <laughs> sorry if i can't say that on the oh air, no you but. can say damn it oh, okay. i'm not that's sure what legal? else you okay. can say <laughs> i i know after six o'clock the rules change okay yes. oh wow okay yeah that that's all i know so no one be dropping any like any of the hard bombs. ones. Any of the All hard right. ones. Yeah. I'm sorry. I apologize for earlier. Though. I have no idea if that was even inappropriate or not. <laughs> so, uh, anyway. So, you know, F it all. Um, or whatever. Yeah, I know. So edgy. I didn't even say the actual word. I just... <laughs> um, okay. So, anyway. Um... Anything else to add, man? What, like, you know, seeking the uh, truth. Like... I mean, I've considered going into PR, but, you know, just because I've... I kind of had a panic. I had a panic, uh, I think, about a year ago. How am I going to make money? How am I going to do this? Mm -hmm. Um, But recently, I just kind of said, F it, and uh, I'm just going to go for it. Yeah. I mean, at that point, like, just finish what you started. Exactly. Yeah. Exactly. I I wanted to go into PR. Like, it it can't be something you just fall into just because... Mm -hmm you have your degree like that's what you know and then when you go out and find jobs you're doing a job that you don't like and then you hate it and then you're like i should have done journalism so yeah Yeah. actually i am taking a pr class this semester it's been interesting i've Mm. i've really kind of found my way with that and mm -hmm. realized that i don't want to do that Mm -hmm. but we had this really interesting guest speaker the other day who's actually the publicist for the oscars his name's Steve Rohr, but he said something really interesting that kind of rung true with me. Um, he kind of said, you know, um, go through the doors that are open. Mm-hmm. It's it's like the most divine sign in life that you will 
really receive and he was just kind of saying like don't try and beat down the doors that are closed because then you're just going to be on the other side of the door trying to get yeah. back to the other side so what i'm getting at here basically is the doors to journalism i guess have always just opened to me i've always sort of fallen into it it's only it's really kind of been the only thing i've ever been good at like, good at yeah, yeah i guess you could say that yeah, no, <laughs> I, I mean, dude i feel the same way really because i suck Everything. You. Oh my gosh. Oh, uh, at most things. At most Come things, n- not pertaining to stuff that you well, know nobody's is. Nobody's good at everything. Or so. anything in most cases. Everybody <laughs> has. Their, Being good at one thing is more than most people can say. That is true. Right? That Everybody is true. has their niche. Yeah. Their niche. Um. Uh, anyway, I mean, I guess to fill out time here, um, how I got into journalism at least was I was originally an illustration major. I was a high school dropout, burnout illustration major. I wanted to make the arts the arts and whatnot and at a certain point i kind of just figured out i'm not good at it <laughs> i guess is the main th- it's not that i'm not good at it. i just i have the commitment to it but along the way i figured out through writing gallery reports it's like hey i can write about art in a semi-coherent manner basically right and from there i jumped over to an english major and then i got into my um community colleges uh Local or not local, but school newspaper, the telescope. So shout wow. out to them. The telescope. Yeah, the telescope. That was that was a hell of a time. Miss it a little bit, but yeah, I was the uh, arts and entertainment, not arts and life editor. Mm-hmm. You know. huh. So I did that. Um, raised through the ranks, did news. Somehow got stuck in news too. You know, I yeah. mean, that's. I wouldn't say that's my thing now, especially not anymore that, you know, I transferred. Now I don't know what the hell my thing is. I guess it's the main thing, you know. Well, you seem to be very good at covering news. Yeah, that's um, the th- I, I mean, I don't know, man. I mean, I, I'm figuring it out still. And if that is not what college is for, I don't know what it is. No, it totally is. Yeah. And just to quickly plug in Joel's illustration roots, if you ever see the... Um, the Daily 49er crime blotter. That's all Joel. Yeah, crime I'm. Blotter. I'm Prospector re- Pete behind bars. I'm really sorry about that, Prospector Pete. <laughs> also, uh, okay, real talk. Uh, the mascot. Like, I, I still don't. You both. You've been here longer, at least than yeah, both long, of us. Yeah. Yeah. I've been here longer. So you're like an OG. Not an OG, but I transferred. Well, like a, a G. I'm a G. I'm a G. I don't know about you're an OG, but I'm a G. You're a G. Okay. <laughs> so. Okay, so this Prospector Pete, you've been here for, like, what? Like, two semesters? Yeah, No, so, I've been, like, two years. Two years. Yeah. Okay, so you're, like, you're entrenched. You're, like, in the trenches here at Cal State Long Beach and yes. all the weird stuff going over, like, branding and the mascot and yes. so on and so forth. By the way, guys, we're completely off topic here, and we're just trying to fill out time. <laughs> no, that's fine. Yeah, so has this always been a thing? You know, because, like, Prospector Pete, like, he's right by... Our newsroom. He's he hangs out there. You know, I'm pretty sure he comes alive at night and roams the campus or whatnot. But you know, how many how many times has like you know something gone down on Prospector Pete? Like he gets covered in this or that or there's a protest outside Prospector. Has it always been like this or is this like something new that's kind of like taking on and like working up and welling up this semester? I I think um, now more than ever there's been a voice and we've kind of given a voice to the people who you know really are passionate about Pete being like changed mm-hmm. just because you do have certain groups on campus that are really just trying to not like get change our mascot get people out of here or get him out of here mm-hmm. um, I just think this semester particularly we've done a lot of coverage on it so 
and I and I can speak as the social media editor, as someone who sees our insights and how many people watch our stories, especially the ones about Prospector Pete, people get people are really passionate about this topic, whether it be people who don't like Pete or people who really do, who are like, hey, you know, leave Pete alone. Pete's the homeboy. <laughs> yeah. Leave Pete, yeah. leave Pete alone. Leave Pete alone. Pete yeah. lives matter. <laughs> I've seen a lot, and I'm sure you've seen more, but I've seen a lot on our Facebook comments, a mm-hmm. lot of alumni yeah, that are upset about this, um, that are upset about the fact that people want to get rid of him. Yeah, well, I mean, that. see, we had a, in our 310 class, which me and Kat are both part of, mm-hmm. which, you know, if you're signing up for classes, consider taking that next semester. Shout out to Barb. Yeah, Barb. 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 <laughs> <laughs> uh, anyway, but no, we were talking to uh, James uh, Alamada from ASI came in and uh-huh. gave, like, the whole thing. And it's like, oh, uh Cal State Long Beach is trying to kind of rebrand to like Long Beach State and so on and so forth. And then the back forth comes like, or the backlash kind of comes from like, you know, these uh, alumni or alumnuses or whatever the proper term is who is kind of like, hey, I, I still like living back in the college days, the man. The 49ers. Yeah, the, the dirtbags. The dirtbags. The dirtbags. Yes, the, the, the dirt prospectors. Yeah. Mm-hmm. we are. <laughs> we have identity issues. We do have identity mm-hmm. issues. Um, but yeah, I, I think most people are comfortable with the beach. The beach? That's been... But, okay, man, what the hell is the beach, though? Like, are you going to get, like, someone to dress up in, like, a... I'm I'm acting way more passionately about this than I actually am. In reality, I don't care, like, at all. Let me... Let me just put that out there. I'm, I'm arguing for argument's sake. No, yeah, it's it's a but, really hot topic. Um, brand like branding of our school. It's something you know. You guys, I don't know if you've seen like the No Barriers campaign that yeah. they're doing here. Mm. Like all of that is is part of trying to get Long Beach State to like a place where everyone can agree on it. Yeah, uh-huh. because you have other campuses who have mascots who aren't you know arguing historically historically um uh. Risky, Risky, I guess. Oh, right. Historically uh, questionable. Yeah. Like, you know, you have like UCI, Anteaters. Like, mm-hmm. I think typically schools with mascots that are animals are, are, are safe. But uh-huh. we have a person and this person just happens to have very a very historically charged, uh-huh. you know, or like... I don't know, politically charged history. Yeah. But, Whether um, you agree with that or not, that's simply yeah. the nature of it. it yeah, it, it's, it's, it's just how it is. So th- the fact that we're trying so hard is just, you know, just so I think it's just so everyone can agree on. Yeah. And yeah. so everyone kind of feels good about going to school. I mean, at least you can say people care. I mean, I mean, that's like the one thing that you, I guess you can give people about this is that people aren't dispassionate about that. You know, mm-hmm. I guess, I guess that shows an affinity for the school, but yeah. Honestly, I don't. I don't know, man. Make it the beach. Make it an ant either. The slug apparently was a thing at one point. Or the sharks. Were but, uh, yeah, UC Santa Barbara banana slugs. Those. That one's my favorite. That's UC Santa. Oh, that right? that the slugs already taken. UC Santa Barbara. Yeah, we can't be the slugs. banana slugs. Well, that's too bad. Yeah, my friend Tess is at UC Santa Barbara. That's go. shout out to Tess. Yeah. 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 Woo. But yeah, no. Do, and slugs. I'm disappointed that that's taken. <laughs> All right. We're going to take a short break while Joel has a moment about well, not being the slugs. About not being the slugs, yeah. <laughs> and, you know, on the note of slugs, it actually looks like it's about time to wrap up here, guys. Um, I mean, I don't know. About the first 40 minutes of this was the D49er update. The last, I don't know, about 10 or so was, you know, an editor, an editor, and a staff writer kind of sitting down and rambling yeah. about 
stuff and things and all the important stuff in life. So, anyway, that wraps up our show for tonight. Um, we won't be back next week, actually, because it is Thanksgiving, and I'm not driving up here from San Diego to cover no news at all. So I'll see you the week after that, then. So, yep. Anyway, see you in two weeks, guys. Thank you, Joel. No problem. Thanks, Joel.